Hey there, welcome back to another episode of the Bible in Life. So glad you can join me uh, each week on the Bible in Life. So thanks for joining me on this episode. You know, it's hard for me to believe that it's the end of August and I'm thinking, man, at least in the place where I live, kids are already heading back to school. I'm seeing all these first day of school pictures over the last few days. And today, the thanks the final phase of kids in the air going back to school. In fact, I'll be back at school myself today. I'm going down to Boise Bible College. I'm teaching a Galatians and James class for them this semester. So I'll be teaching that in the afternoons, a few days of the week. And just hard for me to believe we're almost to the end of summer and uh, school is back in action. And wow, where did time go? And August has been super busy, <laughs> super busy. And so could I could I ask you to, to pray for me for something um, as, a, as a friend, as a participant in the Bible in life, I got a prayer request, and it's this. I, I have been super busy. I've got a lot going on, but I have a project I'm super excited about, and I really want to get started on, and I just feel like I need God's help, God's favor, and you can be a part of that by praying for it. So I intend to create an entire commentary on the whole New Testament, a New Testament commentary that's modeled after the Bible in life, and so it'll be a listener's commentary to the New Testament. In fact, I've already bought the URL, listenerscommentary.com. Nothing's built yet. That's not active yet, but that's where we'll be able to find it, listenerscommentary.com. So I really want to get it started, and I want it to be full of grace and wisdom and the Spirit. I want it to be something that can really benefit and serve you all and serve others who are looking to understand the Bible more, looking forward to serve pastors who are preparing sermons. So I, I really want to get started on that, and I thought by now I would have already been. It's just been such a busy season. So could you pray just that God would help me create the space, and God would help me prepare in a kind of a quick, expeditious sort of way, and that I, the recording would go well, and I could begin to build this. It's going to obviously take me several years to get the whole thing done, but I would love to have four or five New Testament books done by the end of this year so that we can kind of launch it going into next year with enough material to be helpful to people. So could I invite you to pray for me on that behalf and pray for that project? That would be super, super helpful if you would do that for me. All right, we have been walking through Romans 6, 7, and 8. We come to a passage here at the end of Romans chapter 7 that is uh, probably one of the more well-known passages in Romans. Certainly probably one of the more well-known passages in Romans 6, 7, and 8. And yet, it's usually misunderstood and therefore misapplied and misused. And so I want to jump in, walk down through this. We'll hit some of the details, and then I want to help you understand what's really going on in this text. Okay, Romans chapter 7, beginning in about verse 12 or 13 is where we're picking up. And here's why this section is so well known. Paul is describing the relationship with sin and some of that. And he says something that I think a lot of us can identify with. He says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Man, what's wrong with me, right? Like, what what's wrong with me? I know what's right. I want to do what's right, but I, I struggle to do it. Can you identify with that, right? I know I can. I know I can. I know there's been times even more so in my spiritual life where it's like, man, it just feels like that's the struggle, right? Like the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. Woe is me. What's wrong with me? And I think most of us can relate to that sentiment. Here's the struggle, however, because we we hear Paul's words and we're like, 
oh yeah, that's me. I can relate to that because we can identify with his words. We oftentimes fail to hear him out on his terms first, and, and therefore we misunderstand the text and fail to apply it. So we need to make sure we really hear what he's saying on his terms so we don't miss the point, so we don't misuse this text. And here's why this is so important to me and why this matters so much. I have heard this section of Romans basically almost used in as a, not quite as an excuse for sin, but in some ways almost used as an excuse for sin. Like, I've heard people say things like, well, you know, I mean, I guess I shouldn't feel too bad about myself, you know, with some of my struggles and the fact that I just keep making some of the same mistakes and keep sinning and keep kind of messing up if the Apostle Paul did it. And it's like, well, what do you mean the Apostle Paul? And they quote this text. Well, you know, Romans 7, where Paul says, the things I want to do, I don't do. The things I don't want to do, I do. So I guess if Paul was like that in his Christian life and he's the great Apostle, you know, it's basically going to be that way for me too. And that just completely misses Paul's point misunderstands what he's really getting at, misunderstands what he's actually talking about, and therefore misuses the text in a way that I think Paul would want to pull his hair out and be like, no, 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 that's not what I meant. So what does Paul mean in this section? What is he talking about? Well, remember the context. Whenever we're studying scripture, context is king, and we've got to make sure we read it in context. And in this case, just the immediate context that we looked at in our last episode as well as even the, the further back context, brings a lot of clarity to Romans seven twelve and following, or Romans seven thirteen and following. Paul isn't talking about the Old Testament law. In fact, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 14 and 15, right? Shall we go on sinning because we're no longer under the law, but under grace? And that's what set this whole thing up, where he had to deal with the law. And he said, well, no, you, you're a prisoner to that which you obey, either sin or either righteousness. And Beginning then with chapter 7, he talks about how the law was actually taken advantage of by sin, and the law therefore became sort of an unwitting accomplice in sin's killing of the human race, killing people, bringing death and destruction to this world. The law didn't want to do that. The law was holy and righteous and good. But because of the weakness of our flesh, the weakness of fallen humanity, the law was co-opted by it and became an unwitting accomplice in sin and death. That's what he's talking about, and he's ended the previous paragraph that we looked at in our last episode by saying, so the law is holy and righteous and good. Well, that raises, therefore, this follow-up question that, that he takes up here. He says, well, therefore, verse 13, did that which is good become a cause of death for me? And Paul's like, well, no, no, that's not quite what I mean. So, yes, the, the law, you know, got somehow involved with sin, and through sin it, it killed me, right? Uh, for sin, verse 11, taking opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. But it's not really the law that did it. It's sin's fault. And so he says, therefore did that which is good, meaning the law, become a cause of death for me? And his answer is, may it never be. Paul wants to exonerate the law. It's not the law's fault. The law is not bad. The law is not the problem. The law just couldn't solve the problem. The problem was sin, and sin specifically in me as a fallen person, and sin in you as a fallen person. And so we are talking about the Old Testament law 
in context. And everything he's going to say from 7.13 down to the end about the things I want to do, I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, I do, has to be read in that context, in the context of the Old Testament law's inability to set people free from sin and death. And this whole section, Romans 6, 7, and 8, is about our freedom from sin and death. He just wants to make sure we know that doesn't happen by the Old Testament law. And so he says, may it never be, rather it was sin. It wasn't the law that became a cause of death, it's sin. In order that it might be shown to be sin by affecting my death, through that which is good. You want to know how bad sin is? How awful sin is? How deceitful and vile and even powerful sin is? Sin took something that was good, God's law, and used it for bad and brought about my death so that the commandment, uh, so that through the commandment, sin would be seen to be utterly sinful, he says. Um, And so the problem isn't so much the law as sin itself that man has somehow to manipulate and twist and use God's good law for its evil purposes. And from there, then, he goes on into this, this, this really vivid portrayal of what life was like trying to please God under the law. And that's really important. And he, he speaks sort of very personally as now a Christian who knows a greater freedom in Christ, a Christian who knows the power of the Spirit, looking back at the experience of what it was like to please God under the Old Testament law, and he describes it in very vivid language so that um, people would know. He understands. He gets it. This is the issue. So how did God solve that? All right, so that's what he's doing in this section. And and. Just to put that in a little bit of the Jewish context of Paul's day so that we understand where Paul is coming from, um, I just want to read you a few things from some rabbis that kind of speak about what they refer to as the evil impulse. In Hebrew, it's the yetzer hara. It's the evil impulse, right? And here's one rabbi uh, from kind of the time period around this uh, New Testament speaking about this evil impulse. He says, Uh, Rabbi Simeon says, Woe is me because of my evil inclination, my evil impulse, right? Or another one describing what it's like. He says, When a, a man stirs up his passions and is about to commit an act of lewdness, all the parts of his body, they're ready to obey him. They're ready to go with him into this act's act of sin, this act of lewdness. On the other hand, this rabbi says, When a man is about to perform an act of righteousness, of piety, All the parts of his body become sluggard and lazy. They don't want to do it, right? And he says it's because of the impulse to evil within him that is ruler of his body. Uh, That's sort of the thought world that Paul is speaking into. In other words, the Jews, knowing the law and loving the law and teaching the law, they realize, man, it's really hard to do it because of this evil impulse, this yetzer hurrah. Within, within us. And he says, um, what's the solution according to these rabbis? Um, you know, Paul's a Jewish rabbi. He knows this thought world. He gets this. He understands this. And according to these rabbis, what's the solution to, to curbing the evil impulse? Well, here's one statement from one rabbinic writing. It says this, if this repulsive wretch, meaning the, the evil impulse, the yetzer hurrah, if this repulsive wretch meets you, drag him into the, the, 
Beit Himadrash, meaning the house of study. Go study the Torah. That's how you beat this guy into submission. That's how you win. Go study the Torah. And Paul, Paul speaking into that is like, but guys, it didn't work. It didn't work. Not because the law is bad. The law is holy and righteous and good. But by itself, it was actually an unwitting accomplice to sin and death. And so the solution could never be totally just go study the Torah because the Torah didn't solve the problem. And that's Paul's point when he talks about this. And so let me just read you some of what he says here in Romans 7. He says, for we know that the law is spiritual, right? It's from God and it's of the spirit. But I, he says, I'm of the flesh, sold into bondage to sin. What I'm doing, I don't understand, for I'm not practicing what I would like to do, but I'm doing the very thing I hate to do. But if I do the very thing I don't want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that it's good, right? Like, you know, the very fact that I want to do what's right, but struggle to do it, at least I'm acknowledging that what the law said is good. So now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. Do you hear the very vivid description? He's describing the same struggle as these rabbis, that we're trying to keep the law, but we have this evil impulse, and we want to do it, and we know it's good, but man, it's so hard to do it, right? And that shows that it's not just me doing it, it's somehow sin that has gotten into me and dwells in me. Verse 18, he goes on, Romans 7, Paul says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh, that is, in my fallen humanity. Uh, for the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good I want to do, I don't do, but I practice the very evil I don't want. But if I'm doing the very thing I don't want to do, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And Paul is describing in vivid terms the same thing that these other rabbis of his day describe about their relationship to God through the law. And, and Paul wants them to know that the law is not the, the solution to the problem of sin and death. Not because the law is bad, but because I'm bad and you're bad, right? Like we're it, it, outside of Christ, we are merely fallen humans. We are in Adam and in our flesh, Paul says in this this section, there's sin that's dwelling in me. And so he says in verse 21, I find in the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good, for I joyfully concur with the law of God in my inner man. But I see a different law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin, which is in my members and the parts of my body, just as these Jewish rabbis say. Paul is speaking into this tradition of the Yetzer Hara that was well known among the Jews and their only solution they had was go study the Torah and Paul wants to say to them and to us that's not going to cut it that's not going to cut it something else is needed to bring us the freedom that's in Christ and that's what the grace of God has done and that's why under grace we don't need to keep on sinning anymore because we're not under the law. The law couldn't set us free from the power of sin, but grace has done that in Jesus. Now, if, if you read this text closely and you read it in the broader context of Romans 6, 7, and 8, it's obvious that he can't be describing the normal Christian life in Romans 7, 12 through 25. He just can't because the, the way he describes Christians in this section, and what he says in this paragraph 
are like diametrically opposed to one another. Let me show you what I mean. For example, in Romans 7, 5, Paul specifically says of Christians, you are no longer in the flesh. When you were in the flesh, right? He uses the past tense. Um, but in Romans 7, 14, he says, well, I'm of the flesh. Those are diametrically opposed. He can't be describing the same kind of person. Or in Romans 6, um, verse 6, verse 17, verse 20, he says, no, we are no longer slaves to sin. Accomplished fact. But in Romans 7, 14, he says, I'm sold as a slave to sin. Those phrases are diametrically opposed, exactly opposite. So one is obviously describing Christians and one is describing somebody else. Um, or you see it again in Romans 8, 2. He says, we are set free from the law of sin and death, right? But here he says in Romans 7, 23, oh, I'm a prisoner of the law of sin or I'm a slave to the law of sin, not set free from it, right? And so when you read the broader context in which this one paragraph is a part of, it's obvious that in Romans 7, 13 through 25, he's describing somebody who's not in Christ, somebody who is has not experienced the being set free from sin, being uh, put into the spirit, no longer in the flesh, right? He, he's describing somebody totally different. And so, so Romans 7, 13 and following, does not describe the normal Christian life. It describes a person who is uh, under the law. Paul describes it vividly, personally, and even present tense because it's the present experience of Jews trying to please God by virtue of the law. And Paul wants them to know, now looking back in his post-conversion experience, it's like, this is what it was like. We know it. We know about the Yetzer Hurrah. We know about the evil impulse. And there's a better solution than just go study the Torah, not because the Torah is bad, but because the Torah couldn't solve the problem. I love the way Dallas Willard describes uh, the, the law. He says the law... Uh, forever describes the course of righteousness, but it's not the source of righteousness. It describes uh, the good way to go, right? We confess that it's good, that there's good things there. There's wisdom in there, right? Like, love your neighbor as yourself. That's found in the Torah. Uh, you know, don't commit adultery. That's found in the Torah. You shall not murder. That's found in the Torah. These are good things. We confess those things to be good. But in and of itself, by itself, it's not the source of righteousness because of the sin that dwells in me. And that's Paul's point in this section is we need something else to free us from sin and death. And so this paragraph here in Romans 7 ends like this. It says, uh, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that anticipates where he's going in Romans chapter 8 when he begins to show us what it means to be set free from this struggle that he's described here in Romans 7, 13 and following. And so those of us who are in Christ are not relegated to experience this struggle on an ongoing basis. This does not describe the normal Christian life, and it's not an excuse, therefore, for sin. We can't use this text and say, well, I guess if Paul struggled in his Christian life to actually obey God, I shouldn't be surprised that I do too. This just isn't how Paul describes the Christian's relationship to God and to sin. He describes it differently. He describes it as being set free from this struggle. In chapter 8, we'll look at that in the next episode. 
But here, let me just offer this kind of concluding reflection. What, what this text does tell us that I think is so powerful is that sin is an inside job. Um, so now no longer, he says, am I the one doing it, but sin that dwells in me. Um, or again, he says, I'm no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. And he says that twice. He wants us to know that evil, verse 21, is present in me. Sin is an inside job. Um, a certain kind of character gets formed within us. It taints our desires and it, it corrupts our loves and we get things out of whack and out of order. And so sin is such an inside job that just uttering rules, uttering commands on the outside is never going to solve the problem on the inside because sin is an inside job. We need an inside solution, and that was the problem with the law. The law stood outside of us, telling us what was good, telling us what was holy, telling us what was right, but it couldn't make us that kind of person. And so we need an inside solution to an inside problem, right? And that's Paul's point. Sin somehow gets into us. It gets into the parts of our body. Um, and uh, we kind of just almost as a reflex of response, we do things because we've practiced sinning for so long and, and the corruption that is within us. Man, we, we learn these things, right? We learn bitter and passive aggressive behavior rather than forgiveness. We learn to respond to attractive people with lust rather than with respect and dignity. Uh, we learn to respond to... Uh, frustrating or irritating circumstances or people or situations with anger rather than with patience and love and kindness. Uh, sin is so deep that just knowing the good thing we ought to do is not enough. Just reading the right commands is not enough. That's why education will never solve all our problems, because knowing it is not enough. We need a deeper solution to a deeper problem. And so we need internal, supernatural help from God to become the kind of person from the inside out that God created us to be, that we desire to be, and that we can be with the help of God. And Paul is going to turn there in Romans chapter 8, and we'll take that up in our next episode of The Bible in Life. Hey, thanks for joining me. I hope this is helpful to help you understand this text and understand what's going on in this text. And in our next episode, we will provide then what is then the gospel solution, the biblical solution, the Christ-centered solution to this problem, this struggle with sin. So thanks for joining me on this episode. Remember that uh, this is a listener-supported show, and you can help out uh, this podcast and help support this podcast so that I can continue to make it by becoming a patron on my Patreon page, get a bonus podcast every month. In fact, currently we're studying the, the background of the book of Revelation, so you can check that out on my Patreon page and support the show for as little as $5 a month over there. Or, uh, if you'd like, you could donate through the donate button on my website. It goes straight to World Family Mission. And all donations given through through there are tax deductible. So, either way works to support the show. And if you're able to do that, man, that would be so helpful to me and it would mean the world to me so and thank you to all you who are already doing that uh, you don't know how much that means as both just an encouragement to me but also obviously just to pay the bills and make it possible for me to continue this ministry of producing online bible teaching resources to help people follow Jesus. so thank you so much god bless you guys may you go in the grace of jesus and the power of the spirit may you bring him honor this week 
and may you be filled with great joy. We'll see you next time on The Bible in Life.